What a great atmosphere. And you know what? I have to say this, I believe, that the um, testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy, it says in Revelation chapter 19. And uh, Kathy and I were sitting down there before as, as people were sharing stories and testimonies about their week, all of which I believe points to Jesus Christ. But it brings the spirit of prophecy in that what the writer John means in that is that it is a preemptive declaration of the work God will continue to do. And I believe what we just saw was an atmosphere of faith because of testimony. An atmosphere of faith that calls people into a place of surrender that allows God to do his work. And I get really excited when that happens. Really excited. Really excited. Very, very, very excited. Yeah, you can all be a little bit excited, but I'm very excited. I'm very excited. God God is inviting us into his story. And uh, I believe, I truly believe God's desire is that we would, as his children, experience and live in the abundant life that Jesus promised. And that works in all areas of our life. It sounds nice. For some, you might even think it's a fairy tale or a cliche. But it's in the book. It's true. The question I've got for you this morning is, are you ready to be blessed by God? Are you ready to be a partner with God? Are you ready and waiting? Maybe you are, I'm not sure, but are you prepared to be God's partner in this life because he doesn't do it without us? And part of that readiness and part of that preparedness is us having the capacity that's required for us to be a partner with God. So let's, let's, let's do a self-check. So on the screen, we have a scale, an assessment gauge, and I'm going to show you some things, and you can answer these questions in your own way to yourself. But the scale on the screen is going to reveal to you where you currently sit when it comes to your internal belief system. So keep it to yourself, and we'll see what God does as we go, and let me, let me put this um, box around it. Let's, for the purpose of this exercise, say let's assess our belief system when it comes to money. And your belief system is found in your reaction to the following words that will appear on the screen. As these words pop up, there's going to be a reaction in your heart, in your mind. You're going to be triggered in certain ways. Are you having a positive reaction to one of those words or a negative reaction or is there things that you're attracted or drawn towards or is there things that you're repelled from? The scale on the screen, the, the, the blue line is perhaps a continuum where you might put a mark where you think you sit based on the cluster of words that you would find an affinity with. 
if I printed this out, and maybe I will put this um, page up on online later, you could circle those words that you find yourself drawn to and you will find a marker on that line where you sit. Which of those words do you believe to be true when it comes to money? Here's another way to look at that same question. Which of these words do you see in your life? What is your reality? Because the truth is the Bible teaches us that my my connection is lost. The Bible doesn't teach us that my connection is lost. The Bible teaches us much, much more than that. I'm so dependent on technology, aren't I? Here we go. The Bible teaches us, as you believe in your heart, so it shall be. So your reality is the product of your belief system. And in the case of this assessment and this example that we're doing, the words that describe your reality are a reflection of your belief system in the context of money. What that means is your inclination towards kingdom abundance or non-inclination towards kingdom abundance is based on your belief system. So before we can even handle kingdom abundance, we have to check our belief system. And to step into that, many of us are going to need to grow. We're going to need to come before God and and understand if or how our belief system needs to be upgraded by Him. You know, we mustn't base our lives on information. We mustn't base our assessment on our reality. We must always come back to the truth, the Word of God, the revelation that's brought to us by God through His Word, and then base our reality on that. We must not limit our lives or our future because of a limited belief system. The good news is, God is inviting us into this place where we're going to talk about kingdom abundance. And God's asked me to teach this series, short series on kingdom abundance, because he wants us to hear a message. So over the next three weeks, we're going to look at kingdom abundance. Why is this important? Here's here's some reasons I wrote down. The church is the hope of the world. The church is God's plan A, and there ain't no plan B. It means the world needs us. We're the family of God, but the world don't see God, they see us. A friend said to me once, they don't read the Bible, but they do read you. What are we reflecting? Currently, it's probably fair to say, especially in our world, in our nation, is that the people outside the church are the ones that have the wealth the abundance and the resource. And when that happens, God doesn't get the glory. The business people do, or the leaders do, or the the ones who are stewarding it. But the Word of God also says there's a transfer coming. And that means we need to be ready, we need to be prepared in order that we would be able to contain it and steward it well. And that's a challenge for all of us. It's important for me because 
Leaders need to get themselves ready for this. It's important for you, it's important for people, wherever you sit, because people need to be ready for it as well. We've got to be ready for too long. The people who are the church have had a false belief that God doesn't want them to have an abundance. We're going to see in the Bible how that's not true. For too long, people who are the family of God have limited their heavenly father because they have not believed they're worthy of his extravagance. For too long, the people who are the body of Christ have disabled themselves. A lack of resource because they've got an inability to see what God sees. One of our statements in kingdom culture is heaven's perspective. Let's try and see what God sees. The world's waiting for answers. We are God's plan A. We are God's answer for humanity. Can I just get you to push the next button, thanks. This is the key verse for the series. It's found in Matthew 25 and verse 29. I'll read you the full verse. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given. And they will have an abundance. But those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away from them. I believe Jesus wants to teach us something out of this passage. I'm going to speak about this passage specifically next week. And what I love about the testimonies that I heard this morning is they're preemptive for next week's message, which is called Seize the Opportunities. I think it was Sharon who used those words. See what's around you. See the opportunities. Because people need to hear about God. Next week's message is going to unpack this passage and draw you into a place that will most likely make you feel uncomfortable. You're welcome. That's okay. So this is all about preparing ourselves, preparing ourselves for what God sees in the future. We've got to be ready to be good stewards um, of all that will come as the fruit of our labor. This is not Christmas. You have to work for the fruit. We're going to learn kingdom principles, and today we're going to talk about the ability to contain what God's got for us. Next week, as I said, we're going to look at how we seize the opportunities around us and what God expects of us. Maybe you don't think of God the Father like that, but Jesus teaches us that. The third week and final week, I'm really not quite sure what we're going to do. It feels like um, God's hiding something for me to discover, and I can't see it yet. Papa's always uh, mischievous sometimes in doing that, but I'm excited. When I don't know, I'll let you know. So, so do we have the capacity needed to be carrying what God's got for us? Um, many of you will know I have a background in teaching about money. I've spent 20 years traveling this nation and a few other places teaching about finance. And what God showed me is that most money issues come back to an internal issue. Most financial issues in people's world are spiritual issues. So to fix the outside, we've first got to fix the inside. That's right. So, so the process is this. First, we deal with the spiritual issues, and then we deal with the heart issues, and then we deal with the head issues, and then finally we deal with what people do. Let's, um, let's, let's do that. Stand up, because you all look half asleep. So first, watch this. We pretend we're in school. First, we deal with the spiritual issues. Hold your hands up like this. Deal with the spiritual issues we receive from God. Then we deal with the heart issues. Then we deal with the head issues. And then finally we deal with the hand. What we do. Let's do that again. First we deal with the spiritual issues. 
Then we deal with the heart issues, smile, Jackson. Then we deal with the head issues, and then we deal with the hand. Right, you've got it. Sit down. Okay. So that's the process that God leads us through when, we're look, when he's looking to bring transformation. The question is, where are you at? The question for you is, what is God wanting to show you? What I'm going to present to you is a wide range of information, but you've got to personalize it and make it real for where you're at. If we could have the next slide up. There it is. Oh, there, no, no. One back. There it is. The, the capacity to carry. This is the... Push the button. This is the name of today's message. If you're taking notes or listening to this online, capacity to carry. See, God could give you all the treasures of the earth, but if you don't have the capacity to carry it, then that's a waste. You're going to lose it. So we've got to grow. We've got to enlarge our capacity in order that we would be able to do what God's got us to do. Let me pray. Lord, today as we open up your word, I ask that you'd come and bring transformation. Lord, that you'd help bring healing in the area of the spirit that connection we have with you, that that would then flow to a transformation in our heart, those things that we believe to be true that affect our world. Father, as our heart is transformed, would we have a renewing of the mind? We would think differently and see differently the way you believe and the way you see. Finally, Father, we expect that as you bring internal transformation, that our external world will be changed. May you bring that change. May you lead us, we pray. Amen. Okay, let's look at two ladies in the Bible. The first one is, uh, is a widow, and she has a need. So if you're looking at scriptures, we're going to go to Second Kings chapter 4. One day, the widow of a member of the group of prophets came to Elisha and cried out, My husband who served you is dead. And you know how he feared the Lord, but now a creditor has come threatening to take my two sons as slaves. What can I do to help you, Elisha asked. Tell me, what do you have in the house? Nothing at all, except a flask of olive oil, she replied. And Elisha said, borrow as many empty chars as you can from your friends and neighbors, and then go into your house with your sons and shut the door behind you. Pour olive oil from your flask into the jars, setting each one aside, and when it is filled. So she did as she was told. Her sons kept bringing jars to her, and she filled one after another. Soon every container was full to the brim. Bring me another jar, she said to one of her sons. There aren't any more, he told her. And then the olive oil stopped flowing. When the man of God, when she told the man of God what had happened, he said to her, now sell the olive oil and pay your debts, and you and your son can live on what is left over. This is a story God wants us to look at this morning. What are some key observations in the story? First and foremost, this lady is a widow in the Jewish culture. That means that she is by herself. Her husband has passed on. She has no ability to work. She has no ability to sustain her family. She has no ability to interact because the Jewish culture was very much a male orientated when it came to finance. This means she's probably hungry. I mean, she doesn't have much in the house, and we read that she has not much more except a little oil. To pay her bills, she has gone to a money lender, and they have given her money, and she owes them a debt, and she can't afford to pay the debt, so they're knocking on the door, and as was the culture in Jewish times, they've said to her, well, if you can't pay these two lads, we'll take them as our slaves, and that will be your payment. So not only has she lost her husband, she is about to lose her two boys and be destitute and die in poverty. 
Elisha is known as the man of God, and, and so in this story, for us in the context, he represents God in the story. And we, we might be the widow. Let's have a look at that. I think I have a little flask of olive oil. My lovely assistant will pass that to me. That's great, thank you. And, um, and, and you know, I need a volunteer, so you're sitting here, so you can, you're not a widow, but you can come and, and join me. And so Louise represents the, the, um, the lady in the story, and God turns up through the prophet and says, well, what do you got? She goes, oh, I got nothing. And he's like, really? And he's like, well, I've got a little olive oil. And so the man of God says, go take your sons out and go into the community and find vessels in order that you might fill them with this olive oil. So perhaps we could look around and see if there's um, any vessels that we could use to... Um, here's one. Here's one. Bring them up. Here's another one. Bring it up. Here's another one. Bring it up. This is good. Oh, here's another one. Here's one. Oh, this is good. Look, I could have planned this better. Is there any more? Here's one. There we go. Look at that. So in the story, the sons are in the community, and then they bring and they gather these vessels, and the lady begins to, I don't know how your faith is, but... Let, <laughs> the lid back on (laughs) these vessels one by one were filled weren't they you read the story you heard me tell it so the vessels are filled and and we go down the line and they're all filled and we get to the end and and then she says to her sons bring me another vessel now what would happen if the son had brought another vessel what do you think would happen the oil would have kept flowing and would fill the next vessel and the next vessel and, the, and you offered your drink bottle. We won't do that today, but you know, any other vessel is a good vessel and we fill it up. But we know the story. What happened when they ran out of vessels to fill? The miraculous provision of God stopped. Isn't that interesting? wonder why that's interesting. Well, we're going to show you why it's interesting at the end if we make it that far. So um, these volunteers, why don't you take what's in the bucket, the envelope, leave the envelope closed, take it with you, put the bucket, let's put, put the bucket back up here, and you can go and sit down for now. Thank you very much. So what do, we, what do we take from this story? What have we got to learn from this lady? If we have a look at the next slide, the key thing that I want you to get out of this is the woman with the oil, all God requires is faithful obedience. How is the oil going to feed her and her sons tomorrow? God didn't tell her that, did he? He just said, go and gather vessels. One of the key things we understand when it comes to kingdom abundance is as a result of our faithful obedience, God brings multiplication. And God's multiplication is not limited except by that which we bring before him. What do these buckets represent? Well... I'll tell you that later. One of the fascinating things that I learned in reflecting on the story is that the lady didn't just gather the, the vessels that she had in her house. Read the text. Elisha said, go out into your community and bring the vessels in. You see, God's solution is always found in community, not in isolation. Look around you. This is part of your community. Bring your need to the community. 
You know, fantastic what Diane shared about the, the groceries. Fantastic what was shared with the craft group around the, the lady with the lunch on Thursday. God's provision is always found in community. Finally, the, in this story, the nature of the provision of God is that provision follows vision. If there is no vision, there's usually no provision. No vision means no provision. This is going to become a very, very important point for you personally later on. And finally in the story, one of the keys around the buckets and the widow is the motivation of the widow. And I don't know if you actually noticed it in the story, but we're going to come back as we close and I'm going to point to the motivation because it is key when it comes to you. Let's look at another widow. Oh, look, I can make it work. Let's look at another story, another widow in the Bible. Jesus is hanging out in the temple. The temple is the house of God for the Jews. It's in the middle of Jerusalem, and it's the center of their religious activity, their worship, their um, gathering together like we're doing here, um, and a whole lot of other activities that we don't do. But let's read verse 41 of Mark chapter 12. Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple and watched as the crowds dropped in their money. Many rich people put in large amounts. Then a poor widow came and dropped in two small coins. Jesus called his disciples to him. I tell you the truth, he says. This poor widow has given more than all of the others who are making contributions. For they gave a tiny part of their surplus, but she... Poor as she is, has given everything she had to live on. What can this widow teach us as we look at the story? What I find interesting is Jesus reclines at the treasury. So there's an area of the temple. It's a square room courtyard kind of thing that they call the treasury. And around the walls are 13 receptacles or offering boxes that are labeled. And he's sitting there reclining as they did in, in the Easter culture. He might be squatting, you know, sitting on his heels or, or sitting against the wall in the shade of the day, but he's purposely watching who's giving what. If we did the now culture, I think we'd be a little bit of a problem. But Jesus seems happy to sit and observe. These 13 containers, think of them like letterboxes where people deposit their money in. Um, Out of interest, it's a little bit um, irrelevant for us, but 9 out of 13 were for legal payments they were required to make under Mosaic law. They brought those to the temple obediently. 4 out of the 13 were free will offerings. Give what you like. And I suspect that's what Jesus is observing with this widow and his comparison that he's making to others and what they gave, it's clear by the story that Jesus could see what they were giving. No envelopes, no push pay on your phone. It's all public. Did you notice that Jesus wasn't impressed by the pomp of the rich or the demonstration of their wealth? But what I love about this is Jesus makes a very, very bold statement that is challenging. What is the key for this lady? Faithful sacrifice. Here she is, a widow. We already know what it means to be a widow in Jewish culture. She brings her two coins. Some translations say she has two coins. We don't know for sure, but she brings her meager offering. 
And, and Jesus knows it's all she has to live on. Well, he said that, so it must be true. She puts it in the box. How's that for faithful sacrifice? That food that would buy, that money that would buy her food, she instead gave it to the temple. Faithful sacrifice. Speaking of faithful sacrifice, those seven that were up here with the buckets, would you stand um, where you are? I, there was an envelope in the um, thing. If you haven't opened it already, if you could open it and what's in the envelope. So once you've found that, why don't you go and give what's in your hand to someone else? Not in your row, that's lazy. Go for a walk. So if you can't see what's happening, there's a gold bar in there. Not real gold, but a a gold crunchy bar. There are some that only have a wrapper left. Well, you just bring whatever offering you can. The point of the story is God blesses us with a gold bar, what we choose to do with it, it demonstrates lordship. That's a setup, and I don't mean to make anyone feel bad because there was no instructions earlier. But the point of the story, if we go back to the widow, is choices that we make with our finances demonstrate lordship, and lordship is all that Jesus cares about in the story. Lordship is defined by who gets the priority and the choices you make in life. Let's contain it just to money because that's the conversation we're having this morning. What determines lordship in your finances is demonstrated by the behavior that you have, the choices you make and the priority system you have. Is Jesus Lord or are you Lord? person that you place first in your finances is Lord of your money, and your money serves that person. Sadly, for many Christians, they make themselves the Lord of their money. They choose what happens with it, and the fruit is thereof. True giving is what we call faithful sacrifice. It's a personal sacrifice. David said once at the altar, King David said once at the altar, I will not bring an offering that has cost me nothing. It's a great quote. It demonstrates personal sacrifice. Notice what Jesus says in verse 44 of Mark 12. Jesus says, They, the others, gave a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she has, has given everything she has to live on. Here's a question. God marvel at your faith in the same way he marvels at the faith of this widow? The word of God's supposed to be sharp. Let's see what Jesus does with his friends, because Jesus is not ashamed to challenge those who live close to him. I hope you live close to him. In Luke chapter 12. There's a long passage beginning at verse 22, teaching about money and possessions. You can read the same thing in the book of Matthew in chapter 6 if you like, but in Luke, I like the way that Luke captures it. Jesus says, don't worry about everyday life, whether you've got enough food to eat or enough clothes to wear. 
Life is more than food and your body more than clothing. Look at the ravens, the birds of the air. They don't plant or harvest or store food, but God feeds them. And you, well, you're far more valuable to him than any birds of the sky. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And if worry can't accomplish a little thing like that, what's the use of worrying about bigger issues? Look at the lilies and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as the flowers are. And if God cares so wonderfully for flowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? I'll stop there, but you can read the rest of the passage later. When Jesus says, O ye of little faith, I used to read that as a chastisement, as a telling off, as a, as a comment of scorn where Jesus would, you guys, you suck. But I should get back in line with what I teach you, and that is that God's not like that. Jesus is not scorning them. He's not chastising them. He's not telling them off. This, my friends, is an invitation into a higher way of living. Jesus is not putting them down. He's calling them out. He's drawing them up. He's saying, guys, guys, come on, come on, come up. Come up to a higher way of living. Come up to a way where where you look at the way I see things and, and live the way that I would have you live and the Father would have you live, not to care about the the things of this earth, but to set your mind on the things of heaven. This is an invitation to a way of faith. Last year, I spoke a message called The Way of Faith, and go and track it down on the podcast and listen to it. It talks about how we could live that way. Not going to do that again today, but three points on the screen. Faith is the key for our partnership with God. He doesn't need all your resource, but he needs your faith, and he wants to partner with you, and he wants you to bring what you can. Bring what he's inviting you to. Faith is our right response to God's truth. Faith is doing what the Lord's asking us to, what he's inviting us to, what he's leading us to. And finally, faith is revealed in the way we live. Faith is the demonstration of how we live by faith. Um, If I could get my ushers to hand um, the books out, that'd be great. I I was asked a year ago, actually, um, if there were any resource that we would make available to the church on the practicalities of of generosity. What does our church believe when it comes to finance and giving? And and how would we guide people and help them in a lifestyle of giving if they've never been exposed to that before? Or if they've um, perhaps got a more historical or traditional view, what are the views of North End Church? It was Corrie Jacobs that asked me that. It was challenging at the time, but I sat down and I drafted what we're handing out now. And I invite you to take it home and read it. Mark marks on it, ask questions all over it, and if you want to chat about it, I'm welcome to talk to you about it. As I asked the um, eldership to review it and others to review it, there was a comment made. It said, well, this is good, but where would I start if I was just beginning, if I've never lived a lifestyle like this before? So in the middle section, you can see a story about, well, where do I start? Another person said, well, this is good, I understand it, but how practically would I live a lifestyle of generosity? So on the back page, there's all these ways that you could choose to adopt as behaviors, and 
Some of you may not know, but the church app that we have, which gives you access to our calendar and our podcasts and our blog posts, also has a a Bible in it, and it has a giving button in it, and you can just give from your phone whenever you like. You don't have to read that now. I was a bit worried I would distract you, but put that in your bag and your Bible and let me lead you on, because I want to invite you into participation. Jesus invites all of us to a high level of living. You'll notice on the monthly calendar, I hope you grab one of these, we put them out at the end of the month for the month that follows, and inside's a calendar of events that may or may not interest you, there's commentaries, but on the back is a missions update, and I shared with you a wee while ago that we have a budget this year of $35,000 for our missions programs, and this is just a way of communicating how we're tracking towards that. Fortunately, the graph's taken a little bit of a flat spot. Um, and God's going to fix that. It's fine. I'm okay with that. But this is the, the missions partners that we've committed to on a regular basis. It includes the orphanage that you saw recently, the photos. It includes also an orphanage in India and a church there. It includes um, a Bible school in Indonesia where I teach and a church planting operation. And that's what I want to talk to you about because we've got a regular commitment each month and that budget just meets those commitments. So that's locked in. I'm committed to that. The elders are committed to it as a church. That's what we're doing. God willing, he's providing for it. But while I was in Indonesia, I had a chance to catch up with these two beautiful people. I don't know if you remember the story. The guy on the left in the white shirt is Pulu. And two years ago when I met him at a church outreach, he was in Bible school and he came to me and he said, Pastor, would you pray for me that I would have a godly wife? I'm like, yeah, man, I'm always keen to pray for that. So I prayed with him and we united in faith and we believed that God would bring him a godly wife. Well, I saw on Facebook in June that these two got married. This is Merson, his bride. And so when I was there in July teaching, they came to me and they were delighted to meet with me again and asked if I would pray blessing over them now as a couple, as a family, that they would be a godly family. What's really, really exciting is that these guys have been training at the Bible school in Indonesia. So here's a map of Indonesia, and up in the northern part of Sumatra, on the left there, is where we travel to go to visit the Bible school. So in the middle of that red circle, there's Lake Toba. At the south end of that lake is the Bible school. Well, these guys have been called out of the Bible school now that they've graduated, and they've got to go and do God's work. So they're moving, but they're not moving to Jakarta, which is a really large city with lots of... um, comfort. They're not going to Bali where there's resorts and beaches and bars. These guys have been asked to go down to Timor on the other end of Indonesia to a place called Kupang which has a population of 350,000 but around that there's many many villages where people still live in huts. We have five churches on Timor that we support, us, we do. And just to the left of the bottom of that circle, there's a little island called Roti, and there's a church there, and they literally have a grass roof, no walls, and they gather for worship and singing. Well, these guys have been asked to go down there, and and the church said to us, hey, we know you support us, but would you guys be willing to help us find a place for these two to live? And I'm like, yeah, sure, what's the deal with that? I'll go back to the church and ask them, and they said, well, it's 10 million a year. So if 
I translate that for you. Can you guys remember? How much is, a hun- how much is 10 bucks? 100,000, right? So you take king- 10 Kiwi dollars, you get 100,000 local currency. So if you take $100, you would be a, a millionaire. If you take $200, you'd be a, a two millionaire. <laughs> Literal conversation we had. Um, so do the math. Who's bright enough to tell me how much is $10 million? thousand bucks for a year's rent. I'm like, man, let's find them a house for two years. They sign a, a two-year lease over there. So somehow we've got to find 2000 bucks that's going to give these guys a home and a base for them to do their ministry in Kupang. Two years, two years rent. $2,000 Kiwi. This is how pastors get around in Indonesia. These are a group of pastors that are traveling to do ministry. And these are their trusty steeds. Scooters. And they go fast on those scooters, much faster than I would like to do. And so the church said, well, these guys have got to do ministry on Kupang. We've got a deposit for them. We can HP it. We can hire purchase it. Um, Because it's about 5,000 Kiwi to buy. But it's how much a month? Two million. How much is that a month in Kiwi dollars? Two hundred bucks. Two hundred bucks a month. Get in the scooter to do ministry. Dusty roads, long trips. The guy on the left is a pastor who lives in a forest. Um, he and his family. I've got photos on Facebook of him tra- carrying the scooter through the river in the flood season to get to do ministry. I think I've got life easy. And finally. This is of interest to those of you who have been here for quite a while. Several years ago, this church bought land in Kupang for a new church location. We, we literally sent the money and bought the land. But what wasn't done at the time was the legal transaction to register our ownership. So even if we start building, because those guys make their own bricks, they get their straw and they, you know, three little pigs, they, you know, make a, make a church. But if we don't register the ownership of the land in the name of the apostolic church, then the family will come back and take it all away. So they're not starting anything yet because they're saying, hey, we just need some help in getting that done. The reason I put that out there is is this. Look, many of you are already contributing regularly to our missions program, and I thank you for that. But some of you might be stirred by a specific project. A couple of you could probably do one of those on your own. No problems, without a blink of an eye. But what we're talking about when it comes to kingdom finance and therefore kingdom abundance flowing through us is faithful obedience and faithful sacrifice. And God will stir your heart. Maybe someone here already has got that thumping in the chest or the pit of the stomach dancing because they're like, oh, well, that's me. I'm supposed to do that one or part of it. Come and see me. Right? These are additional projects to our regular missions giving that's happening. Okay? There's the invitation. Let me close this. The two key things that I want to share with you. Number one, provision follows vision. What is your vision for your part of this church? You see, the reason I have these buckets up here, and the reason I use this example from the story, 
is that these buckets in people's lives represent their capacity to carry God's vision. And when I work with people, most often they say to me, I've got no vision. If you've got no vision, you've got no provision. And I want to change that. I want to be able to tell stories and stories and stories and stories about people in North End Church that are going on for God with what he's given them as a vision. That's you guys, not just me. When you catch the perspective of heaven that God's got for you, lordship is just a default. The reason you don't perhaps would recognize lordship in your finances to Jesus Christ is because the vision's not big enough. Maybe. But when you get a conviction from heaven and you catch a glimpse of what God's got for you, you will most definitely surrender the lordship of your finances to Jesus Christ. It's what we call faithful sacrifice. And we saw it with the widow in the temple in Jerusalem. Secondly, Jesus would say that we're invited into his story. The widow and the man of God called Elisha, she was invited into a miraculous story. God desired to bring his multiplication, but in order for his multiplication to flow, he needed faithful obedience. He needed her just to do what he had asked her to do. And what I love about that story, I said it before, is God's solution always comes through community, not isolation. I had someone come to me recently asking me some questions Uh, of all things, about charitable trusts. And I answered their questions, and then I said, well, tell me why you're asking that question. And she says, well, in one of your messages one day, you remember the one that I did the big drawing on this this big piece of paper up here that was really long, and I didn't even think it had anything to do with my message. But she says, God hit me with a lightning bolt about how I could serve a part of the community with my passion and my vision and my skills. And she said, I want to find a way to be able to do that, and I just figured that would be the way to do it. And I said, well, we've, this church has a community trust, and all we do is just add service after service after service to the community through the organization we have to be God's love in practical ways to people. What I love about that story, the purpose is not to tell you about the trust. The purpose is to tell you about the person who had the vision from God and responded in faithful obedience. So I hope at the beginning of the series that you catch what God means when he says kingdom abundance. It's not about fat cats living in big houses, drinking pina coladas on the beach. I'm sorry if that's what you thought. It's not the message from this church. The message from this church is catching God's big heart for people and being his arms and his legs doing what he would lead you to. When you get God's vision for your world and you're part of a community that wants to be a solution then resources flow through you. That's faithful obedience, which leads to multiplication. So the purpose of the buckets is to remind you that vision is what's required for provision. If you don't have vision, if you're not sure about it, I love to help people find that. More importantly, God will speak to you to help you see that. No qualifications except a faithful heart. Finally, I promised you that we would look at the motivation of the widow with Elisha. I want to close with this. 2 Kings 4, verse 
1. One day the widow of a member of the group of prophets came to Elisha and cried out, My husband who served you is dead, and you know how he feared the Lord, and now a creditor has come threatening to take my two sons as slaves. Why is that? She can't pay her bills. Remember? Son's gone slavery. God does a miraculous. Let's look at verse 7. When she told the man of God what had happened, the miraculous provision and the oil in the buckets, he said to her, now sell the olive oil, pay your debts, and then you and your sons can live on what was left over. See the outcome of the story? Sons saved from slavery. God's not giving you an abundance for your sake. There are sons and daughters of God in this town, in slavery, that he wants to set free, and he needs your faith to do it. The heart of God is for the salvation of the lost, that they would be drawn into his love, receive his empowerment and freedom, that they too would become a demonstration of his love to others. The whole point of that story is God taking us to a point where we understand we're a part to play in the salvation of those that need to find Jesus Christ. Don't miss it. There's a bigger, bigger game of play here than just this house or what we do. Let me pray. Lord, we ask that you would come and lead us to a place where we can fully surrender ourselves to you. I ask that you would bring us to a place of faithful obedience and faithful sacrifice. God, this only happens through your inner work in our lives. Give us a burden and a passion for the lost. Give us a, a willingness to, to dream dreams with you and to make a sacrifice before you that is the activator of faith to see your multiplication come through us in order that others would be blessed. God, I ask as the, the pastor of this church that you would grow us as a community of faith-filled believers who would serve others, that North End Church would be known for its generosity, that as others have testified today that we would be proud to invite people here, that we would know that it's safe and that people would see you, that would have an encounter with you, and they would walk with you. God, I thank you for everyone who's here. I ask a blessing on them as they sow into the ministry and the work of this church here and overseas. I ask that you do lead them to a place where they can see the fruit of their labor, the fruit of their generosity, and that they would find their joy and your pleasure as you smile on them. I declare the love of God the Father to be made manifest in each family and the grace of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, to empower us in freedom and that the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit would lead us every day to make your priorities our priorities. Amen. Amen.